Buenos días. So you don't pronounce the S's if you're from Las Tunas, which is where we spent most of our time on our uh, mission trip to Cuba. And I felt when I heard them saying, not Buenos Dias, but Buenos Dias, these are my people. Because <laughs> uh, it's a little more remote, Las Tunas, like where I'm from. And though we pronounce our S's in Henderson, North Carolina, we don't pronounce our R's. So like, I'm going to take a shower for about an hour. <laughs> anyway, I felt an immediate connection with uh, our friends in Cuba, and uh, I can't wait to tell you more about our trip along with my team and um, to continue to tell these stories is important for all of us to understand just how crucial this mission is and these partnerships are. Uh, I don't know when I felt so close to uh, the literal way the New Testament churches existed and functioned as I did uh, for the past uh, week and a half. So more to come. But thank you um, for your support of these ministries and this mission. Today we continue with the Epiphany Insight series, part three. Uh, having addressed baptism and forgiveness last week with Mary Caldwell preaching, and I'm grateful to her. Mary, thank you for your beautiful message to us last week. Uh, today, this, the theme is prayer. And rather than offering it indirectly, I'm going to begin by telling you the thesis of this sermon right up front. My hope is that God's Spirit will move through my words and our worship today in ways that inspire and empower us to pray untamed prayers. The specific insight I hope to offer is the realization that God is inviting us to sound like the psalmists in our prayers. If you've read the psalms, that might make you uh, move in your seat a little bit. This sermon may only serve as a simple reminder or review for those of you uh, for whom this insight is not new. But I suspect there are many of us here, myself included, who instinctively try to protect God from our real feelings. I want to help unburden us from polite prayers, the ones we think we should pray, and give permission to pray not only without ceasing, but without restraint. In his book, Prayers Plainly Spoken, theologian Stanley Harawas offers a series of prayers that protect us from the word just. Not just as in justice, but just, just plain old just. We've heard and probably prayed these prayers many times, prayers that begin with the phrase, Lord, we just ask you. Harawas wants to delete that word from our prayers because it suggests, he says, a false humility on our part. It suggests that we don't want to ask God for too much because we assume we have the rest covered. I've got all this part, God. I just ask you for this. No, no, no. So as an example, Harawas prays this prayer instead. 
Gracious God, we thank you for the gift of prayer. What an extraordinary thing that we can pray to you, unburden ourselves before you, place our cares, woes, and joys before you. I confess I find praying an awkward business. I keep thinking, who am I to pray? But I know that to be false humility, hiding my prideful desire to be my own creator. I find it very interesting this morning that the lectionary, the schedule for preaching that I use most of the time, the lectionary trims our psalm to something more manageable, more readable. Nothing glaring, just a little trim here, a little tuck there. Psalm 27 is not a particularly long psalm. Even so, the lectionary suggests reading verse 1 and then skipping verses 2 and 3, continuing with verse 4. What, you ask, might be the unread second and third verses? The psalmist prays, When evildoers assail me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and foes, they shall stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise up against me, yet I will be confident. I, I must confess, I can't remember any time recently or perhaps ever when I've kneeled beside my bed for prayer time or sat in my prayer chair here in the office and launched into a sentence like, when evildoers assail me to devour my flesh, they shall stumble and fall. But the Psalms are full of these kinds of petitions, uh, outcries. Here the burden of proof is on me to wonder whether I'm really praying if I'm not inclined to be that honest with God. Even after preaching this sermon, it's still not going to feel natural for me to begin a prayer with God. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful. But that's from Psalm 5. And I can say without hesitation that I've never imagined saying, happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. But that's Psalm 137. And this is our prayer book. And these are the prayers of the ancients given, passed down to us to teach us how to pray. I don't know how to pray. I don't know the words to say. They're here. They're, the lessons are all here. There's 150 of them. Do we sound like them when we pray? In fact, as I've been learning to pray the Psalms simply by reading them, it often requires several gymnastic leaps for me to imagine praying like many of the psalmists. But that judgment is not on the psalmist. That judges me. If my prayers don't often sound so much like the psalmist, I wonder just how prayerful are my prayers. Maybe my prayers are too tame, too moderate, too nice, and therefore too proud. Who am I to protect God from what I'm feeling, what I really mean? what I really feel. More ominously, what violences lurk in my heart 
that might endanger others if I don't give them up to God? What sins will stay inside my heart if I don't name them and ask for God's help? What toxins will remain in my flesh if my prayers are too tame to flush them out? A teacher of mine once said, we too often try to be polite to God in our prayers and the Bible goes on ignoring our attempts to be civil. I want to name then for us three ways to pray untamed prayers. First, I invite us to pray aloud. I know that we pray aloud corporately, but if you're like me, you probably pray quietly when you're alone or even silently. The first lament psalm in Scripture is Psalm 3. We get to the laments really quickly. The psalmist says, I cry aloud to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy hill. Yes, it is my common habit to pray silently or with whispers or with a hushed voice or with a civil tone or sitting upright. But the, vi- the Bible invites us to turn up the volume, to bow down, to open our hands, to raise our voices. We may need to go into our closets to do this. Uh, I would not advocate doing this on the main street corner first. But find a place where you can trust yourself to be loud, to raise your voice, and turn up the volume. Weep, moan, groan, yell, or even, and I'll find out later if I have permission to say this, cuss. Think about Jeremiah. Jeremiah, I really have a feeling, and maybe the language uh, hides this a bit, but I think Jeremiah might have been a cussing preacher. Um, he accuses God of criminal acts against himself. He lays it bare. He hides nothing. He holds nothing back. And he's one of the major prophets. We can learn how to pray from him. The cussing prophet. I encourage you to hold nothing back in your prayers. Turn up the volume. Say what you mean. Say to God what you really feel. Second, pray viscerally. I take this word from Scripture, uh, especially the word in the New Testament for heart or guts, spalankna. Doesn't that sound like guts? Spalankna. That's all this part of your torso. you the seed of your emotions, where you feel things deeply. Begin here with your prayers. Let the spalankna, your guts, your visceral parts speak first. 
The psalmist today in Psalm 27 speaks of the heart. She prays what my heart says. Come, my heart says. Seek his face. Often we find that we're really telling the truth when we say things that we blurt out. (laughs) Things that come straight from the heart that didn't pass through the filter first. When we get older, the filter becomes more brittle, doesn't it? The funniest my grandmother ever was was the older she got. The filter just fell apart. (laughs) Better than stand-up comedy. I'll just go to grandma's house. Take the filter off for the prayers. Put it to the side. Let things come from the heart. I think about Uh, Now, I can be really sentimental sometimes, sometimes not, but sometimes when I am, it really comes quickly. Uh, And pretty regularly when I would watch those TV shows on HGTV, the home makeover shows, you remember the one uh, Extreme Home Makeover Home Edition, the Move That Bus show, uh, where that really wacky guy would stand, he said, move that bus, he had all this energy. Uh, and he would always tear up, and I'd be tearing up right there with him because these families who needed homes and had so, so many pressures and burdens in their lives have a new home to walk into, and every single time they walk into the home, it seemed like every single time, the only thing they could say over and over again was, oh my God. It just about doesn't matter which one of these shows you watch, Fixer Upper, Chip and Joanna Gaines, Walking in the House with Everybody, all of them over and over again. Oh my God, next room, oh my God, next room, oh my God. I can't even think, is there anything else we can say? But then I thought maybe these are little prayers of thanksgiving. They just come from the heart. They don't know what else to say. It's just the first thing out. Let your prayers be the first thing out. And then question yourself if that sounds too tame because self-deception is a serious obstacle to prayer. We can even deceive ourselves and perhaps we're our own worst enemy when it comes to really telling the truth in our prayers. Taking that filter out and speaking from the heart. Deep calls unto deep and the roar of your waterfalls. That's the space of prayer. Third, pray selfishly. I want to put selfishly in quotes because, of course, here in uh, church, we're about being selfless, service to others, giving up ourselves to enable others to thrive. That's really at the heart of what we do. And yet, after a, uh, even a cursory reading of the Psalms, you will get a quick sense that they care a lot about what's going on in their own lives. And they're, giving, uh, they're asking God to come and tear open the heavens and come down into their life, into their situation, their challenges, their problems, and ask God to help, help me now, here, with these people and these problems and my family and this job and this neighborhood. Father, if it is possible, 
Let this cup pass from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Those are Jesus' words in the garden that he must have said aloud so that others overheard him, and now we, we have them today, from the heart, but also selfish. God, help me. Not my will, but yours be done. But I'm going to tell you what I really feel right now in this moment is that I don't really want to go through with this. Now I'm trusting myself completely to you. It does not burden God for us to say, I need your help. This selfishness paves the way for the love and the care and the forgiveness and embrace of others. I remember a prayer that combined all three of these elements, praying aloud, praying viscerally, praying selfishly. It was actually on September 11th, 2001. It was my first day, formally, of seminary. It was opening convocation. We filed into the church at Ginner Park in Richmond. I didn't know what had happened. The congregation gathered the president of the seminary, Tom Graves, many of you know Tom, stepped to the pulpit and was loud. Now, Tom's not loud. He has a great laugh that turns up the volume. But when he's not laughing, he's not loud. And this prayer turned up the volume. We were all at full attention. Here we go. It was visceral. He prayed from the heart. How do I know? Because the prayer was elegant, but unplanned. He didn't have time to carefully craft this prayer. The disaster, the attack had just happened. What he was saying was what had been the words he was saying, the sense of his expressions were all from here. They, they weren't, didn't have time to get up here yet. The prayer was selfish. Tom was asking for help. But I also noticed that he prayed for our enemies. He offered the enemies to God. He asked God to help them too. But primarily he was asking for help and protection for our country and for the world. He prayed aloud. He prayed viscerally. He prayed selfishly. And over 20 years later, I still remember his prayer. It is one of the Psalms for my life. So now I entrust to you these matters of the heart. Come, my heart says, the psalmist says, seek his face. Our hearts are restless until they rest in you, Augustine said, echoing First Peter. Cast all your cares on him, for he cares for you. So let's do it. Let's cast all our cares upon the Lord, 
with one exception. Quit being so polite. 